Wing Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 260 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. You know, we all love modern electronics in our aircraft, but are you managing the information effectively? In a cockpit that looks like the display floor at a Best Buy with multiple devices that all can tell you where you are, where you're going, and when you'll get there, how do you choose which features and settings are best for your flying? You know, we're not going to go into what to do when the automation breaks down. There have already been plenty of discussions about that. In this episode, we will talk about our best tips and practices for how to be organized and efficient when using today's technology. And that means anything from fully decked out glass cockpit in a technically advanced aircraft to an old tail dragger with portable devices suctioned to the panel. Uh, before we begin, I do want to introduce our co-hosts this evening, uh, some folks that we have uh, have come on, on and off the show every so often, and we're so happy to have them here. People ask me that, by the way. I did want to make a comment there. Uh, they noticed that we have multiple co-hosts that come on. Uh, one of the reasons we do that is we love the diversity of the conversation and of the backgrounds, and that's why we have so many folks come on to the show. And it's wonderful to have joining us this evening uh, Bill English, Sean Moody, Tom Frick, and Eric Crump. Eric Crump, welcome to the show again, and welcome, guys. Great to hear you all. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Especially Tom. I mean, the fact that you keep inviting Tom back is like, wow. Yeah, he's the, he's the hanger. <laughs> it's, it's historic. It's <laughs> scary, actually. Well, guys, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I think is awesome is the fact that we're, you know, we're all over the country and sometimes we talk about where we are, but I really want to go into this p uh, topic as quick as we can. Uh, before we begin, though, just quick word from our sponsors, AviationCareersPodcast.com is the sponsor of this. Check out the scholarships guide that they have. They, uh, there is also career coaching. Uh, there's interview prep and many different courses out there. By the way, that scholarships guide, it's up to $120 million, uh, and that's through the their Herculean efforts of the, the all the folks here at uh, Valeria Aviation. I mean, they've done a great job putting that together. Uh, if you want to maybe help someone get a scholarship, you can actually help out by becoming a patron of this of this podcast. Easy to find out how to do that. StuckMikeAvcast.com slash patron. Every dollar that we get, we give away a scholarships guide. Uh, every $10, excuse me, that we get, we give away a scholarships guide. So every dollar you donate is going to go to one of those. Let's do the pre-flight. Anyway, quick news and announcements. I actually, this is one of, the, one of the things that was so exciting the other day. I got checked out as a CFI at a local flight school, and that school is actually associated with Polk State College. Eric, are you scared? It just goes to prove that with the right amount of money, you can buy your way into anything um, because everybody knows it wasn't skill. Um, we do want to thank you for your charitable contribution, Carl. I thought that was the rental cost, the $10,000. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's ten thousand an hour. That's ten thousand an hour. Man, Sean would be a CFI for the rest of his life if it was ten thousand an hour. I'm in. <laughs> I'll split it with you, Sean. You've put up with him longer than I have. So I'll, I'll split it with you. You know, all kidding aside, that was a blast. I tell you, I, I'm absolutely loving this life of uh, instructing. I'm actually. Uh, you know, not trying to take over anybody else's job at the flight school. There's a lot of young people that want to get their hours, just helping out with some stage checks, jumping in there uh, when, you know, they need an extra person to fill in. Uh, it was so much fun doing things. Like I hadn't done uh, S-turns across a, a road since 2003. Uh, that's kind of scary. And is that, not a, is that not a common Airbus maneuver? No, not at all. Not at oh. all. And, and not only that, I, I do a lot of instrument ratings. So the private pilot stuff is just so darn exciting uh, to get up in an airplane. And here's something else before we start this discussion. One thing I wanted to say, you, you don't realize the, you know, I haven't been flying GA for a little while now, maybe, you know, almost 12 months. And it is just amazing the freedom of being able to fly. I mean, it's just, just a incredible getting up in the air and going whatever direction you want to go in, seeing things from an incredible perspective. And that's why we love doing this. And uh, interestingly, the school, the flight school, has uh, these uh, cadets and, you know, warriors. And they also have some 172s with G1000s in there. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today is the modern glass cockpit. And this discussion is really, it's apropos for me because one of the things, uh, Tom Frick, I don't know if you remember, that was the first and last time I ever flew uh, a G1000 was with you. And that was actually when we flew to Polk State College at one day. So that's got to be about seven years or yep. so. Remember, about, you know. Yeah, six, seven years, I think it is, or six years, I guess it was. Um, but that's something that has been interesting to me doing these checkouts is the fact that now I'm getting into that whole glass cockpit in a, in a general aviation aircraft. And uh, we talk about the modern cockpit, and Eric said, you know, from flying the Airbus and doing S-turns, but uh, there are times I find that even this cockpit can be even uh, more uh, complex and also have more information than what I have in the, in the Airbus. Uh, I'm not kidding. I mean, the, the, the screens and the displays that we have are absolutely incredible there on the G1000 and the 172s over, over there at Polk State College. Uh, so just think about that, Eric, more advanced than the Airbus over Polk State. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I've heard a lot of people say that. First of all, I just I appreciate the fact that you still love GA. And as much as I give you a hard time, we're very fortunate to have you around sharing your experience. So thank you for doing that. But um, one of the interesting things I find from going from the crew to the single pilot model, even though technically, you know, flight instruction is this weird crew concept, right? Like, so technically there are two of you, right? But the goal of the instructor particularly when you've got your evaluator hat on is to not really be there right so you're supposed to be evaluating the person operating on their own um and i think the information overload issue which i know we're going to get into this is um you know it was a it was a common problem when automation first got to the airlines too um and then progressively as we learned how to manage the systems and to do that as a crew you know, I think a, a lot of those issues went away, even though we still have plenty of, of automation surprise and, and things like that um, in that in that world. I think in GA, though, I don't know that we've really we've learned that that lesson as well from the airlines as maybe we have some others about how to um, 
to to manage workload when there's all that information there. So I I was thrilled about this topic. This is one I'm really passionate about. Now entering cruise flight. It is true that we we had a very interesting shift to the complexities and and also all the information overload. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, not just in the in the modern cockpit. I personally feel, especially when I jumped in the in the Airbus, is the fact that it, I thought it was simpler. I mean, I think having flown older airliners that have all these knobs, switches, etc., um, I find sometimes it's a it's a little easier because uh, the computer does a lot for you. But there's there's a lot to it. There's more behind the scenes than we realize. It's a little more nuanced. Like in in these modern cockpits, you know, we what are we talking about? Technically advanced aircraft, uh, PFD, MFD, and and an autopilot. Uh, some of these even have. I know my friend's got a, a 170 uh, a GPS that he has a, a, a touch screen on there. That actually is is amazing. All these different things like engine information systems. Uh, we have uh, attached to that. That's not even part of the airplane. We have iPads. Uh, I saw a friend of mine putting together a, uh, his J3 Cub and this incredible panel with a, a slot just for the iPad. And you're right. I mean, how do we manage that system? How do we manage... Uh, understanding of AHARs and how that can fail, uh, the attitude and heading reference systems, ADSB in and out. I mean, it really can be it can be confusing. Um, I I will say one thing: I love the redundancy, but I think there's also uh, this whole topic of conversation where is it redundant and or the confusion, or can it be redundant without the confusion? Uh, and that's a big part of actually managing the cockpit. And we talk a lot about that. And I think, Eric, you do in the program there. Uh, and I'm sure that's a big part of the program is uh, single pilot resource management. Uh, when did they introduce, I'm curious, when did they introduce that to the folks at, uh, at the college level? So before you ever get to the airplane, um, that I think we've learned from airline training um, and military training too, to that extent. Um, but so like in our instrument training course, um, the entirety of stage one, the first 14 lessons are all in the simulator. Um, so they don't actually, and actually the first stage check is in the simulator. You don't get to the airplane until lesson 16, and which is basically halfway through the instrument curriculum. Um, because we think it's important that you learn the knobology, you learn the automation management in an environment where there is a pause button where we can say, look, you're, here's where you're at. Do you know... Do you know what's going on? No, I'm completely behind the airplane. And we can reset. And it's um, it's much more effective in terms of time and money for the student. Um, but quite frankly, it's a much better way to learn because you're not also in an airplane hurtling through the sky. Um, and to some extent, I think it's important when we're talking about advanced automation, um, you know, there's a, a component of that that's ground, um, that's, uh, that's, you know, study and prep, then it's simulation, and then we apply it in the airplane. So you don't have that typical, like we get in the Airbus all the time, you know, what's it doing now? You try to prevent that as much as possible. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, nobody nobody likes automation surprise. Um, I think if the, if the airplane could talk, it would tell you it doesn't like it either. Um, you know, but again, the airplane is a very faithful companion, and it will go wherever you tell it to go. Um, if, you, if you're busy messing with a knob, um, not to, you know, not to go back too far in history, but if you look at Eastern 401, if you're chasing a light bulb, you know, you might actually inadvertently fly the airplane into the ground um, or into another airplane or whatever the case may be. And so it's it's about managing that workload um, 
And like it just and everybody's got a story like this. But uh, when I was at uh, Peachtree to Cab in Atlanta, it's a super busy Class D airport, um, insanely busy airport. I had a guy taxi out in a brand new 182 with a G1000 cockpit, and he was so proud of it. We we're doing a flight review. He gets to the, we're taxiing out. Um, he's programming in, you know, altitude, uh, heading, um, setting up the flight director. And I'm like, this guy's really like, he's thinking ahead. He's proactive. We're at the whole short line. He gets his clearance to take off and he goes, watch this, which is usually, especially where I come from in Alabama, that's oh, code no. for something really stupid is about to happen. Um, but anyway, so he taxis out onto the runway, centers the airplane with the center line, pushes the autopilot on button and advances the throttle to full. And I'm like, there's no way this is happening. Um, and sure enough, um, he just kicked a little bit of rudder pedal to keep us on the center line. The airplane rotated. He had it in a flight level change mode. So it flew at VY, which is what he had it set for, um, took off, maintained runway heading and started to climb. And the whole time he's got his arms crossed with this huge smile on his face, looking at me, just so proud of himself. And I'm like, and you know, at some point, and Sean and Tom are here in this right now going, he did what <laughs> you didn't stop him. I mean, but, but I was just so shocked. I just, I was like, I cannot, this guy is taking off on autopilot in a 182. This is happening. It's happening. But it, even for me, it took me a second to realize what was going on. And so, you know, in the debrief, he was like my automation. It's amazing. I'm like, the automation is not a substitute for you. I mean, we might get to that point. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, speculation about how soon we'll get to that point, but we're not there yet. You're still, you fly the airplane and you also manage the airplane. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how, um, how you learned it, Carl, but my, my first real indoctrination to automation was that, was that mentality. The automation does not fly the airplane. It's not a co-pilot. The automation is automation. You're flying the airplane and you're managing the automation. Um, even if you're on autopilot, you are still flying the airplane. You know, a long time ago, um, and Bill, I don't know if you have experience with this or not, but back back some time ago, the airlines used to train crews. And there was a pilot flying and a pilot not flying. And what what I think we realized as an industry was that's not – you're both always flying. One person is flying and one person is monitoring but there's there's never a situation where you should just be slumped over against the window taking a nap. It's not like time off. Well, the automation is taking over. And I hear people talk about it. The automation is my co-pilot. No, it's not. It has no idea where it is or what it's doing. It just does whatever you tell it to. And I think that's an important thing when it comes to managing this stuff. We have to realize it's not it is not a it is not a replacement for a human being. It's there to make your life easier. And if you manage it correctly, it will. If you don't, it'll make your life way harder. I like how you mentioned if you manage it properly. Uh, it, it definitely will make your life harder if you don't. Uh, but it, it's something, you asked me about this as far as automation. When I first started in an automated aircraft, it was actually at the airliners. And uh, the thought process was a little bit different um, because they were a lot older airplanes back then. But uh, we went to that, to where you know you allow the automation to do as much as possible. I will say one thing I've seen, though. Eric, in the past five years, going back to uh, a little more manual, be in charge, also be part of the conversation. Even when you're a flight instructor, you're still the pilot monitoring. Uh, but it's something that has changed over time. I love that you said that. It's not the pilot not flying. It's the pilot monitoring. And I think, Bill, you were going to say something about this, and I think I cut you off as far as you know your experience with this pilot monitoring and pilot flying. 
Well, I think that's uh, that brings us back full circle to where we where we started. I mean, right? You know, you went we went from right it was captain and co-pilot and pilot flying and pilot not flying and the pilot monitoring and of course what we don't want is to have a pilot not flying and a pilot not monitoring because you've just left it all up to um, whatever you set. But um, uh, we're really wanting to look at single pilot resource management here i you know in our in the discussion that we brought up is how can we use the automation and automated tools such that they they're more um more helpful to us more integrated and not just a hodgepodge of things carl you you mentioned g1000 cockpit and g1000 is a very integrated system and what you see in the airlines is very integrated it's put together with a purpose um in advance and procedures that go with it to make it easy for you to work with. And by the way, you completely forgot that I checked you out on a G1000 Diamond just a few months ago. Um, and was that what all that stuff was? That's what all those flashing lights <laughs> were, yes. You were just looking at the iPad. I was, I was looking at the iPad. I was looking out the window. <laughs> well, and that's and that's what brought this up. This, this was a, I've had more than one uh, pilot... Um, mentioned you know or in, in having discussions about how do we manage all of that we've got some very integrated systems like g1000 out there and, and there's lots of other glass that gets put into into different airplanes i've been flying a lot of different airplanes lately that are everything from they, they came out they rolled out the factory door with a g1000 in them and everything was was well integrated and put together but then, then we can't help ourselves we're going to add an ipad here we're going to add a stratix here but there's also a lot of other aircraft that are older and have been um, upgraded. We've got new uh, uh, navigators that go in or a new autopilot that goes in or a new display that goes in, something like an Aspen or the, the new um, Garmin uh, electronic displays that take the place of some of the mechanical displays. Or you may have a Garmin navigator, you know, the, the, the touchscreen uh, series of Garmins that are in there now. Uh, we've got the you know Avidine glass, and that was where the question came up from or a discussion from a, a local pilot we're talking about, he said he's, he owns his own Cirrus. He's got a, some, some glass in it and got an iPad. He said, Hey, I don't have ADSB in. Should I get one of these, you know, one of those gizmos and give me ADSB in on my iPad. So we started talking about, well, what are you using these things for? And I said, in, what are you doing with your iPad in your, in your cockpit that has, some very sophisticated navigation. Are you navigating with your iPad? Or is this really, it's your chart, right? This is your um, electronic version of your paper charts that there used to be charts paper, by the way. Um, maybe some folks don't know that. But, um, and he started to, you know, we were talking about, well, what are you going to do with your ADSB in at this stage in your flying where you are mostly doing instrument training? Are you looking for traffic or are you concentrating on your instrument training and using your navigation systems? So what we got at was to think about planning how you're using what might be kind of a hodgepodge of devices in your aircraft for the purposes that you need to do to get the job done, whether it's instrument training, making a cross-country flight, up, you know, updating the capabilities of an airplane that might, like your friend with the Cub, who's, who's making mounts for his iPad and all, he's still going to fly that, that airplane by looking out the window. So these devices are going to have a different purpose. Now, it's easy with digital devices to put 
every every purpose under the sun can go in there, right? We've got EFBs now that have more capability than than a lot of flight management systems, um, all all in an iPad. And so, what we want to get at is some tips and some ideas from you guys, from Tom and Sean, what you've seen with your students, and what you've gone as to how to organize the functions. Uh, so you don't become like that old saying, you know, the man with two watches never really knows what time it is. You can do, you can end up that way with these uh, electronics in the cockpit of, I'm not really sure which one am I navigating with? Where's my chart? What's, um, you know, where am I looking for my uh, communications frequencies and that sort of thing. So I'd like to hear from some of you guys, what you um, what you've experienced or how you may help some of your students uh, organize that kind of, uh, that kind of information. Yeah, I, I would say, so I've uh, been flying with two um, private pilot students, and we've, so my flight school here in Utah has a, a mix of airplanes. We've got several G1000s and also several round dials. The two students that I inherited are still doing uh, round dial. I think once they move to instruments, when they want to kind of start uh, using glass cockpit. So for me, um, you know, we've got four flight in the cockpit, and that's what we're using. Kind of like you said earlier, there's a replacement for paper charts. So we're getting our frequencies there. We're looking at airspace there, that kind of thing. And then they've got the uh, the six pack there as far as um, the flight instruments go. So for for me and my flight environment, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, thankfully, I'm not. I don't have the overload of information. That that's someone like you're describing with like all these different devices and trying to figure out which one there is their primary uh, would have. So I'm sure that's something I'm going to be dealing with at some point, though. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good a good way to yeah. you know keep it simple for a beginning student like that, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I, w I was thinking along the same lines. I mean, um, and I appreciate the way that you uh, you describe this, Bill. And and you know, I was thinking of it from my own perspective and and my own personal training. When I started flying, um, I was flying in the G one thousand. I did my private and my instrument. I didn't even fly a dialed aircraft until I um, already had my instrument. I was working on my commercial at that point, and um, that I had gotten into a, just a round dial aircraft, and it scared the bejesus out of me the first time because I thought, oh my god, am I going to be able to do this? Now I'd done it in a flight simulator and, and, and in other places before I understood the instruments, but it was, it was definitely weird reverting back to it the very first time. Um, and, and it worked just the way it's supposed to, but what it gave me was a perspective that when I became a CFI, I started, um, getting a lot of students that were trying to transition over from dials into an electronic, um, world and it was you know overwhelming to them because now they're trying to take everything they learned on dials and trying to equate it to what they're seeing on these flat screens and it takes a while to to get that um i like the way that eric described how to do that before you even get to the airplane and that's what i used to do is there's multiple simulators that you can get out there for all sorts of different systems um as i started learning and started hitting different um, types of electronics was like, you know, going from the G1000 to the Avidyne, to the Dynon, to the Aspens, they, they all tend to use some of the same phraseology and, and things like that. Um, I mean, cause we're flying, so it's all, it's all broken up into phases of flight. So what are we doing when we're taking off? What are we doing when we're climbing out? What are we doing in cruise? What are we doing in the descent? What are we doing as the approach and, and coming into landing and how do we manage all of those things? And what are the different pieces that we need to use in that system to get us through each of those points? Now we're adding in all of these other things, the electronic flight bags and, and different pieces. And, and we're, um, mishmashing because there's 
the the electronic stuff has come down in price so much that a lot of the round dial people are now going out and finding ways to get um, electronics into their airplane and can do it fairly cheaply these days and then having to integrate that and how do you manage it and how does it become uh, part of that workflow in each one of those different phases of flight. So it's it's interesting to do and, it, and it's a way to learn and, and that's what I try to do with my students is just, you know, prepare them for each of those different phases of flight and how are they going to use each of these pieces of information, whether it's electronic or whether it's analog. You know, um, I, I was gifted in that place as well that I was in, in that transition. So when I learned, I did everything paper. I had all paper charts. I had all paper plates um, for my instrument and, and, you know, trying to manage all that stuff in a little cockpit sometimes was very cumbersome. Um, and breaking it down into an electronic flight bag, for me, it was like, oh my God, this is so much easier to keep organized now. But for other people, it, it, it's still hard for them to wrap their head around. So um, it is, it, it's a challenge and that's, um, I appreciate the topic and the conversation on this. You know, to add to that, Tom, and, and Bill, you were talking about the, the automation and also all the other things in the cockpit. One thing I've always taught people, and no matter what aircraft I've flown, is, is really focusing on on what it is we need to get the task done and ignore everything else. Uh, and, and I think, Bill, that's kind of, I think, why I forgot I flew in a G-1000 with you because it really, uh, you know, it was just the, the certain things that I needed from that G-1000 to glean from it and then just move forward. And that is something that I, I even do in no matter what plane it is, whether it's the Airbus or whatever, is just turn everything off if you don't, or just not turn it off, but don't focus on that and focus on the things that we truly need. Because that is something that we can we can have, is we can have a situation where an iPad and our our hookups to our headset can cause us to get into a very unsafe state and that's where we don't want to be in those unsafe states and uh, we need to focus on the one thing and that's number one is is fly the airplane and then the next thing we need to do is analyze what what's wrong what's wrong what's the most important thing we need to fix first uh, and I think once we start introducing all these things into the cockpit it starts confusing us and uh, and not only that Tom you brought up a really interesting point that people are putting all these new things in their airplanes I was with a student over at Polk State the other day and uh, he asked me he pointed at something he says what's that thing over there and, and it was a Loran now here I'm an old guy and I'm used to you know that's we didn't have GPS when I started we had a thing called Loran and um, and I had explained that to him but here he was getting distracted by this one item in here and it took us away from whatever the task is at hand, which is exactly, I think, was to Eric's point, is we try to do these things before we get in the airplane and try to get those discussions out there. Um, but, uh, but as far as going back to the, you know, as what do we do? What kind of advice do we have uh, through this, this, you know, single pilot resource management? It's something that I think that we have to really understand how to prioritize. And a lot of people... Uh, say multitasking, which we're uh, we're we're somewhat multitasking, but we're just doing one thing at a time to be safe. And I think that's really, really important. And keeping that information, like Tom, that you said, organized is very important on your iPad. I think some people uh, need to learn how to do that. So, Tom, do you do you sit down with those folks that that have that difficulty? Do you kind of go through it in with that automation, whatever it is, like the iPad, and say, hey? Uh, this is how I organize mine. Let me let me show you, and let's let's try to do it on yours. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, it's really all I got. I mean, I've, I've tried to learn different ways to do things because, you know, we all know in aviation and, and, and in flying an airplane, there's different ways to skin a cat and, and different people are going to wrap their head around different phases of flight differently. So coming up with different ways to present that to somebody is what we're supposed to do with CFIs. So I, I've, I've learned several different ways, but yes, I, I try to sit down and go, okay, here's the things that I've tried. Here's what works really well for me, you know, and then maybe if this doesn't work, maybe this work. I tried this one day. It didn't work real well for me. Maybe it'll work for you and, and present those other ideas as well, but try to get them done and instill the fact that you can learn all of this stuff before you actually go out and practice it. You know, there's, there's different ways. There are free simulators that you can get online. You can go to Garmin, you can go to Avidine, you can pull up their systems and they will allow you to have something that you can play with to at least start learning what the buttonology is. Where are these things located? How are their menu structures put together? And then how do you relate that to the different phases of flight that I was talking about? You know, and, and trying to put it in an orderly fashion so that organization can stay solid all the way through the flight. I think it takes practice and continual practice too, because I, uh, look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the G 1000. I'm actually doing the King online course on the G 1000. I've done it before and I, and it seems like I'm learning new things, but sitting there and watching it and, and just organizing your mind around a specific task and envisioning what you're going to do, I think helps too. So, uh, you know, a, a good thing is visualization and, and figuring out what to do next and, and kind of, Another thing I found is we do certain functions often. So maybe try to go through what are those functions uh, that you want to accomplish and then figure out a way to actually use the buttons in a certain manner to get to that function, whether it's setting up a flight plan or et cetera. And you'll find, uh, I know I do this in certain airplanes, that it's like boom, 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 you know, five different buttons I've pushed. And at times I don't even realize that I've done all that. And all of a sudden the, the functionality comes out that I want and I've completed the task at hand. Uh, so that that's quite interesting. The one, the problem though, I find is, and I, and Bill helped me out with this term, uh, is that all these different devices have their little quirks in them. They're, they're similar in many ways, but then there's those little intricacies that, that really can be a problem. So I, uh, that I think in itself, can be a very big challenge and bill i'd like to hear from you like what do you what do you do and you fly all these different types of aircraft so that you don't get caught in that distracting you yeah that's um that's a good point as tom mentioned there's between the different manufacturers or whether we're talking about a panel mount or a, a you know portable whether it's a foreflight or other efbs or you know the portable gps's that are out there there's a lot of commonalities. There's only, like you say, there's only a few ways to skin a cat, but, but there's, you know, minor, small differences. And I think what everybody's kind of, um, come back around to, and it's probably the, the, uh, the big message here is to be breaking these things up into whether it's phases of flight or particular functions, you know, it's nav or it's calm or it's charting. And once you focus on understanding what is it that I want to do, right? Where do I want to be? How do I want to get there? I want to be navigating. So there's a certain set of functions that you're going to use for that, whether it's Garmin or Avidyne or whatever. Um, you need to sit down with your airplane, whether it's simulator book or just sit in the airplane, if that's all you got and understand, all right, this is what I use to navigate. Now that might be, I'm going to use this particular 
um, set of functions on my panel mount system. That's how I navigate IFR. Well, my EFB can do some of these things too. Well, that's great. You put that in as the secondary function. I navigate with the panel mount unit. The EFB is my chart, but it's my backup navigator. You know, that type of thing. So breaking these things up by functions and breaking them up by phase of flight. This is what's going to be important for me on an instrument approach. Um, and it's not going to be important to me when I'm flying up and down the coast taking pictures, that sort of thing, breaking them up into what exactly the um, the job is at hand so that now you're not overwhelmed with three different navigators going on, but you've lost all situational awareness of, say, for example, um, the airspace. And when you, now you've transitioned to VFR and you've, you've lost your situational awareness of where class B airspace is or something like that. So by, by breaking these things down so that you're not trying to use every button for every single um, phase of flight can, uh, can help you get a handle on that. And then that'll help you transitioning from now, probably for most of the audience, that's not really what they're looking at. Trying to, you know, you, if you're flying the same airplane all the time, that's not a big deal. You can do this once and break it up. Um, but for those of us, you know, I think most of us here instructors that may be hopping into different airplanes with different um, uh, different types of uh, avionics. And, uh, you know, we may have our, you know, I've, I've got my four flight that I know I like to set up the way I like it. But the person that I'm flying with might be totally different. So I have to try to understand, all right, how are you how are you breaking that up into um, uh, what you want to use? And. And sometimes that's a that's a new concept to them. I've seen people with you know some of these things. It seems like they've got every single layer turned on, and that's not necessarily helpful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to your point, Bill, what's interesting is that you know we talk about instructors and us jumping from airplane to airplane. There's a lot of folks out there that rent or in a club with many different types of airplanes, and Very true. they're actually doing it on their own. Uh, you know, you're there with another pilot in the aircraft, and uh, so that actually can be quite a bit more challenging. And uh, you know, I'll give you a good embarrassing moment in in my recent life here, getting back into GA. There's, I have those moments where I'm like, well, how do I do that? I know exactly what I want to do. I can't do it, and it's really frustrating. I wanted to navigate using the VOR. Um, so that the the needle will turn into a VOR. And, and there's probably somebody here that can say what button I should push. But remember, I haven't used that thing called a CDI button in, in a long time. And, and the person next to me is looking at me like, what are you trying to do? I said, well, I want that to be a VOR. I don't want it to be a GPS. And, you know, of course, some young flight instructor at school says, well, you idiot, you just push that button. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I get it. It's just that those kind of things happen in in a lot of different things that we do. It might be me trying to figure out what the CDI, where the CDI button is or what even the CDI uh, button is. You know, what do, how do I select that? It's different in uh, a couple of the other airplanes I fly. So those are those kind of things we don't want to have a surprise of. Right. And, uh, you know, just and going back to what you're talking about with all the different layers, I like less. Less is more in my life. I like turning all sorts of stuff off. Um, the other thing I've noticed, and and I, I love, well, I won't point to Eric on this, but uh, there's, I noticed there's a challenge with the iPad. Uh, and this is just recently I'm finding this because I'm flying with a lot of newer pilots in what they do with their iPad physically. You know, I know what I do with my charts. How do I manage that? And, and quite honestly, I'm almost asking that question because I'm, I'm going through that right now. 
how do do I manage that? How do you manage where to put it, how to mount it, that type of thing? And, uh, and Eric, first I'll start with you, but I'm sure other people have some good suggestions. So inter- it's interesting that you bring that up because the other day I was doing a stage check and um, I had a guy who got in the airplane with an iPad and a yoke mount, right? And so we get in, we do safety briefing, like we're, everything's going fine. Um, and he gets ready to start the airplane and that yoke mount is still not on the yoke. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. But again, I'm an empty seat. I'm an evaluator. Can't say anything. So we start the airplane, um, get the weather, get a clearance, taxi out. We're at the whole short line at this point, And he's still got this yoke mount in his lap. I'm like, he has no idea that that yoke mount is not on that yoke. He has no idea at all. Um, he's holding the iPad in his hand. He's showing me where we're going. We're doing this whole departure briefing. And everything's perfect except this thing is not mounted. We get our takeoff clearance, get on the runway, take off, uh, climbing out. Everything's fine. Runs the checklist. I mean, it is everything's fine. And I'm not, I'm not going to fail you because the yoke mounts in your lap. But what got him was that realization at about a thousand feet or so that the yoke mount was not on the yoke. And he looked at it and he looked at the yoke and he looked at me and he didn't say anything. But I knew and he knew. Everybody knew. <laughs> Nobody was. And I just wanted to see what he was going to try to do. So here we are, a thousand feet in a climb in a busy airport area. He doesn't ask me to take the flight controls, which I wouldn't have done anyway because I'm not really there. Um, but he doesn't ask. He just decides he's going to try to mount the Shioke mount while we're in the climb. Um, to say the airplane was all over the place would be an understatement. Um, and and really, I was just trying to figure out, like, when is this guy going to realize he does not need the Shioke mount on the Shioke to fly the airplane? That I just I wanted him to have that realization because every everything was fine up to that point. But of course he, he didn't. And we ended up <laughs> completely losing altitude in our heading and track. And we were turning back toward the airport. So to take over. Um, and it was a, I mean, I think it was a powerful learning experience for the student because that was an unsat on his stage check, not because he didn't have the, the yoke mount mounted, but because he lost control of the airplane, trying to mount the yoke. mount. Why, why would you do that? Um, and I think it goes back to, Something my first instructor told me, and maybe it's primacy, but I'll never forget it. So when it comes to cockpit management, everything has a place and everything is in its place. That He said it a million times. Um, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. And like when I get in the airplane, the first thing I do is put things in their place. Um, even today, I still do it. Um even and it's it's crazy because that is actually a skill. That's a skill that we have to think about because, you know, especially when we're dealing with a lot of different devices, and um, you know, we don't we don't really deal with that at Polk because we we're, we're trying to like you don't need three iPads. You don't need you don't need three iPads, um, and so we don't really have that problem. But what we do have is um, just poor cockpit management which is a, just a, a simple basic skill. But because we're thinking about the climb, we're thinking about the instrument approach, we're thinking about whatever, we forget the simplest thing, which, you know, I mean, if I hadn't been there and he was really by himself, would he have realized, hey, this isn't going well, taken over and not hurt himself? Probably so. But who's to say? You know, how many people have lost control of an airplane because they were, again, chasing a light bulb? 
or, or whatever whatever the the correct euphemism is but it, it is a thing and we do have to it, it sounds silly we have to train to put stuff where it goes but we do that's important so you train people to put stuff where it goes but at your point what do you do when you realize either in the automation on the plane or mm-hmm. the technology you have is not in place well then it just it goes back to what are what are you you're the pilot you're flying the again um don't fiddle with the yoke mount don't fiddle with the 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 button do you to i mean i'm not making fun of you carl but i mean is it worth losing control of the airplane because the nav system is not in the right mode at that no it's not i mean what should we do? Well, we can leave the area. We can, if we're in the instrument system, we can ask for a, a delaying vector or a hold or anything just to try to get control of our workload. And, you know, automation, to me anyway, is just a tool. It's no different than a yoke mount. It's no different than a checklist. It's a tool. It's a resource. And it has to be used correctly. Um, and it has to be used at the right time for the right purpose. Yeah, it's uh, being frustrated and letting it get to the control of the aircraft and affect the control of the aircraft are two different things. And that's one of the things, you know, when things don't make sense, then stop trying to make sense of them. That's what I always tell people, especially, you know, in my case with the CDI, the case with the yoke mount, who cares? Just move forward and uh, and just fly the plane, control the plane. That's the number one thing is control the plane. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting, especially, you know, we're doing that more and more, uh, training people just control the plane, fly the plane. I think that's because of the fact we have so much automation in the cockpit. Um, you know, you brought up the iPad thing and the multiple iPads. I'm wondering why people have multiple iPads because uh, I know mine doesn't last more than an hour now. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd be one of those people that need one or something to plug in. Um, what do we, you know, what do you do when you switch out those iPads? I'm kind of curious if people actually do do that or you kind of ingest saying that, Eric. No, I've, I mean, not with me personally, but I've heard stories about people getting in the airplane with three iPads, um, you know, and cycling through them. And again, I mean, if, if you've got so much stuff running on your iPad and you're connected to a Stratus ADS-B receiver and you've got the thing on the entire time. I mean, yeah, it, it will eat the battery. I mean, that's a that's a given. But when you're in straight and level flight and cruise, do you do you need the iPad to be on? Um, somebody was saying a second ago. Uh, Sean said this that they use the iPad for flight as a as a replacement for paper charts. Fine. Do you constantly have your sectional chart unfolded in front of you while you're flying the airplane? No. You you get it out. You look at what you need to look at, and if you're you know, a ninja, you fold it correctly and you put it away. Um, otherwise, you just wad it up and put it in the seat and, you know, you pull it back out when you need it again. Um, but so, I mean, again, the that iPad probably doesn't need to be on the entire time. Um, you know, we could, there are ways to conserve the battery where that's not a, uh, an issue. Um, you know, if you're flying around with an iPhone, well, it's, you probably got the ForeFlight app on your iPhone too. And it's probably sitting in a, you're not using it. The iPad should die or the, it overheats or the screen cracks or who knows what. You do have, you know, the ability to pull out your, your phone and still use that as a four flight aid. And we're just talking about one flight planner, which is super common and ubiquitous. But I mean, there are others. Um, but the same basic principle. I, I don't know. I I think at some point we get to the place, and it might have been Bill was talking about this, that where we've got all this stuff, but we have no idea what we're actually going to do with it. 
<laughs> we just have it because it makes us feel good. And like, well, yeah, I've got I've got three iPads and two ADSB receivers, and um, and one of these things makes coffee, so it's great. Um, I I mean, I don't know. I don't I, like the rest of you. I mean, I I learned to fly when that stuff wasn't available. So maybe I'm maybe I'm out of touch. But I just I did. Again, let's just fly the airplane. Let's fly the airplane. Let's use the tools when we need them. And when we don't need them, let's put them away. Yeah, and I think that's important. Knowing when to just put them away and move forward. Because uh, you are just flying the airplane. And, you know, obviously I had that. I had an iPad die on me. I use it for uh, some my charts and things like that. Well, you know what? I just pull out my other charts and go forward. I'm one of those people that actually has a sectional with me. Uh, and... And really, when you're looking at, like, with my CDI issue, I just I was frustrated, but it's like, you know, who cares? I can see out the window. I know where I'm going. So those are the kind of things you want to do is quickly make those decisions so you don't have uh, an unsafe state of the aircraft. That's for sure. Um, you know, before we wrap up, though, I know we don't have much time left, but I, I do want to kind of go into a little bit of, uh, you know, what, what advice you guys have as far as making it simpler for those guys like me that have, like, or had an airplane that's, uh, you know, a little bit older, I think there are devices that make our, we talk about this automation and it actually does make our life easier. Uh, I don't want to be too negative on the, on the whole automation. I think it really is a great tool that's used properly. Um, and I'd like to kind of give maybe from you guys what you feel are one or two of the things that you think are the biggest advances in automation or in systems or electronics that we're putting in airplanes that have added tremendously to safety. Uh, Bill, I, was, I think uh, you had kind of a, a something you said before about certain devices now that they're putting in the aircraft. Well, I, I don't. I think every single device that we've mentioned tonight adds to safety. I, I, you know, I don't want to get, um, at least my opinion, I, I don't want this to sound like, you know, this is the old guys saying, back in my day, you know, when we used to navigate by, you know, the steam pots or whatever. Um, that's not at all what I want to get at. I think GPS, um, that navigators like, and uh, in, in integrated cockpits like the G1000s are great, moving maps are great. Electronic flight bags are great. You know, how, how many times, uh, you know, you know, we go back to the old days when you had three and four different paper charts that you had to, you know, you were the folding this way and that looked like origami in the cockpit and the big fat books full of approach plates. That that cockpit organization task is gone. Now it's it's in an iPad and that's fantastic. If you are just what I want to get at is using it for the main purpose that it's designed and you've got a thousand functions in some of these devices, the point being, use it for what you need to use it for. And that's where everybody's going to be a little bit different. But I, I try to advise people on chunking it up and, uh, and breaking those um, into the, the, the phases and the functions that you need. So they all, they all add to safety. I, I, can't, I can't see that anyone would argue that ADSB or GPS or EFBs um, are inherently unsafe misuse of them can be people getting distracted like you know eric's uh, example there with the uh, the yoke mount guy uh, think about that what was that really his his ipad was his chart and he was fumbling around with it well if that was just a paper chart and it wasn't where exactly he wanted it what would you do you would take it and you'd stick it in the pocket and say all right i'll deal with this when i get leveled out well that's exactly what he should have done with the ipad stick it in the pocket and say i'll deal with this when i get leveled out pretty simple concept but i don't that fellow probably didn't really have a grasp on what it was he was using that for and i, I think that's really the message we want to get across yeah and I, that and and an external battery 
by the way. You don't need three iPads because you can go down to you know Walmart and get one of those little external batteries that'll keep your iPad running all day. It's kind of a simple solution, frankly. Yeah, I think I think that was a good point, uh, Bill, and that's kind of the way why I asked it that way. And I'm so glad you answered in that in that manner. But uh, external batteries, I keep on every flight, and and I. I can't agree more heartily. Uh, we are running out of time, so I do want to say that uh, I think this has been a great discussion, guys. Uh, and uh, and I'm sure we're going to get questions. If you have questions, just go to stuckmycavcast.com and uh, ask your question there. Uh, I really I think this has been an opening of a discussion. I think we're going to get a lot of comments about it. Uh, and it's something that is near and dear to my heart right now because I'm learning a lot of these new technologies, but we're always learning new technologies and we don't know what's going to come up next. There's going to be something else out there. Uh, but the most important thing is be organized, be safe. Primary thing is to fly the airplane. Our picks of the week. Well, let's move on to the after landing checklist. Then today's after landing checklist, we're going to start with the picks of the week. And I am going to start us off here. There's uh, a recent video. And by the way, if you, I, I'm doing this uh, pilot interview course that I have on YouTube. You can find it at uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com. It may help you, actually, if you're getting ready for your instrument. Uh, some of the questions are a little bit different, you know, the more airline-specific. Like my last one's about 3585, which has nothing to do with general aviation. But when I was trying to answer this question, I found this resource uh, that was a big help in answering it, and that was actually uh, the Aviation Weather Services, and uh, it's uh, the air the advisory circular 0045 hotel. But the link that I have actually goes to a specific reprint of it that I really like, and it's the one that's ASA does. And uh, I think it's just the way they organize it. I think maybe it's the way they print it. I'm not sure, but I love having the hard copy. I know there's also, uh, the, you know, the, the uh, electronic copy, but I really like having that hard copy with me because a lot of times, you know, when you're going through some forecasts, et cetera, then you, know, you might be able to kind of refer to that and see it and then just explain it to somebody. And I challenge you, by the way, uh, to try to find a forecast and find something you don't understand and then use that advisory circle. You can download it from the FAA website. I get it. But I still think it's so much fun to have, have the version. I like the soft cover version from ASA. Big shout out to them for doing that. Uh, next pick of the week. Bill, what is your pick of the week? All right. Well, I guess uh, keeping with the weather theme, sort of. I'm, well, you know, I'm, I'm down here at the Avocado Ranch, not far from you. We've been watching this uh, tropical storm not seem to be able to make up its mind what it's doing. But... Uh, uh, away from the tropics uh, and the rest of the country, winter is coming. And uh, I was browsing around not long ago looking for some float plane uh, resources, actually, and stumbled on this um, YouTube channel of Smart Pilot Canada. And not only do they have some cool float plane stuff, but a lot of great tips on cold weather flying. If you want to... Uh, if you want to know about, you know, flying around when there's ice and snow all over the airport and, you know, cold weather, cold weather preparations, well, who better to ask than a Canadian? And uh, these guys have some great videos. It's uh, a YouTube channel and Smart Pilot Canada, all one word. They've got some uh, really awesome videos in there that will make you shiver and dread the cold. Love the name, Smart Pilot Canada. Sounds cold. Uh, sounds interesting, though. Uh, so uh, really, and we'll have a link to that, by the way, in the show notes and all the things we talk about here. So thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. And also, Bill, thanks for uh, bringing this topic to the fore. This is uh, Bill's idea as far as it's too much information. It's been a great discussion. 
Moving on to the next uh, pick of the week is Sean. What is your pick of the week? This one's fascinating for for anybody who likes to do the RV life. Uh, I'm wondering if they could maybe take some lessons from this guy in England. He has taken a uh, Vickers VC10 engine and converted it into a little tiny RV that's got a pretty good-looking kitchen area, couches, that kind of thing. He's got a, a Facebook page that's just called the VC10 Caravan Pod, and you can see some of the pictures of how he's converted this jet engine into uh, into a little camper. And the cool thing is, if you go to this Facebook page, uh, he's also just acquired uh, the front fuselage of a 737 <laughs> that he'll be uh, converting into some kind of a, a living area too. So, you know, if you, you can't own an airliner, you can at least own a camper made out of one, right? Uh, it looks like uh, if anyone wants to replicate what this guy's doing and giving these uh, these old airplane parts a brand new life, this looks like a really, really cool way to do it. So I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes, but if you uh, search Facebook, the VC10 Caravan Pod is uh, where you can find that and follow his uh, his building process. Dude, I, I am so into that. That looks so cool. I, I can't wait to get something like that and put it right next to Polk State, jump out, and go do my my flight instruction there. Um, anyway, uh, next up is uh, Tom. What is uh, your pick of the week? Yeah, so I spun off of uh, Bill's winter is coming theme and, and started thinking, oh, yeah, it's that time of year again where we're not going to be doing a lot of flying because of the weather keeps coming through with all the cold fronts and yada yada as winter comes. So I got to thinking, what do I like to do with those times is I like to learn. So, um, one of the best ways to do that is through the FAA safety wings program. So I put the link up there to get out there. Um, if you go to that page, um, there's a little brief video explaining what wings is and it'll get you started and you can go in there and, um, you know, it's, it's a great way to keep, uh, um, your head in the game, if you will. Um, there's tons of great videos there. There's tons of great courses to take on the thing and, and, um, you know, it works. And if, if you use it enough, you can actually put it towards your flight review and you can, uh, pretty much knock out the ground portion while you're, you're sitting around dinner time, waiting to go back and fly again and show up to a CFI and get the flying portion done and your flight review would be done as well. So wings program. Awesome, Tom. I love the Wings program. A big advocate for it. And, uh, you know, Tom in the past has helped me with some of those safety programs. And there is a list on there for actually going to them in person uh, when some of those start happening again. So thanks so much for that, Tom. That's an awesome one. Uh, Last but not least is our friend Eric Crump. Eric, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week um, has to do with the fact that every single one of my students is in some way talking about the new Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, and if you haven't seen it, um, it is extremely impressive. Um, but you can't really dive in or immerse yourself in the Microsoft Flight Simulator world without uh, a good yoke. And this is actually more of a shout out, I guess, than a pick of the week. But I'm super proud of my friend Nikki, um, who started. Um, a company that a couple of years ago nobody had ever heard of called Honeycomb Aeronautical. Um, it, it's got to be the most in-demand yoke um, and throttle quadrant I've ever seen. Um, he cannot keep a stock. They're 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 going like crazy. I, I've I have a, a yoke uh, one of the yokes myself. It's arguably the best flight sim peripheral I've ever used. Um, it's it's great. 
um, if you can find one. It's like when somebody gets the exclusive brand new Nikes and then wants to sell them for $3,000 on eBay. I'm sure there's one uh, available that you can pay way over retail for. Uh, it's an incredible system. If you really want to dive in and get immersive Microsoft Flight Simulator, I highly recommend it. And uh, just, uh, again, a shout out to my friend Nikki who has uh, really turned the peripheral world on his head um, and just built an outstanding product. Well, thanks, Eric. I appreciate that. That looks really cool. You can fly, find that on the Internet. We're going to have links in the show notes to all these things that we've talked about here. Also, uh, this discussion we've had, we'd love to hear your comments and challenge you uh, to figure out, you know, is there something in your procedures, in the way you actually organize your cockpit, in your aircraft, that may lead you down that path of having too much information and maybe not understanding what you're looking at or not managing it properly. But I think the most important thing to do is when you're when you get done with this podcast is is don't just stop there. I challenge you to go out and check out your airplane, check out your process, try to reflect on what you've done in your past flying and try to figure out how you maybe can actually fly safer based on some of the things that we've actually discussed here. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening today. We'll talk to you next episode. Same flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. <laughs>